This morning's passage is from Matthew 21, if you'd like to follow along. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and sat on them. Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. Expectations. Oh, that's hot mic. Expectations. A belief that something will happen or that a certain way will be in the future. Expectations affect each one of us differently. Some of us struggle with them, always thinking how things should be or how we hope that they will be, only to have them dashed or unmet. Some of us struggle to think Uh, about the past and the present at all. We have no expectations about the future. We just go with the flow, whichever way the wind blows. We have expectations of what our lives should or could be. How a school experience will be like, how a new job will be, what marriage or kids or moving to a new city or a vacation will be like. We make plans assuming certain financial abilities in the future. We hope that a new relationship will develop into a close friendship. We want to be somewhere where our talents and our skills are valued. We want the next movie that we see to be the best movie we've ever seen. And sometimes our expectations can be exceeded. I remember once walking into an interview and after about five minutes, they asked me, what do we have to do to make this work out? What do you have to do? That's what I thought I was gonna have to say. But often though, our expectations are unmet a boyfriend or a girlfriend who betrays our trust, maybe working towards a degree that doesn't convey into an enjoyable job, pregnancies that don't end in a healthy baby, business ventures that don't pan out, waiting and waiting for a decision to be made, and then it's not what you hope for. Just yesterday, I was driving through McDonald's to get a Happy Meal, naturally. My daughter was sitting in the back seat, And the line was moving extremely slow. And I saw in my rearview mirror an adult man sitting in a BMW. His window was down. All of our windows were down. And I I heard him yelling. And he was hitting his uh, steering wheel. He was saying, come on, let's go. The fast food line was taking longer than he expected. And after we were about halfway home, Noelle opened up her Happy Meal. And she expected to find one specific thing inside that Happy Meal. What? What is it? A toy, exactly. And what was in there? No toy. 
Unmet expectations. So what did we do? We drove back, of course. And what did we drive back to get? A, a heart eyes cat emoji toy. Thank you, McDonald's. I didn't expect when I turned 22 that I would be inheriting the back and knees of a 70-year-old. Okay, I thought my 20s were going to be the peak of my athletic dominance on the basketball court, but alas, I'm now in my 30s and I'm a broken man. Still got that killer jump shot, though. All right, stay on topic. March Madness. It's happening right now. Okay, my name, my name is Jacob Beach. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the church, and this morning... We're going to look at the passage that Elise read for us, known as the triumphal entry, Jesus entering Jerusalem for the last time. And it's a passage where Jesus challenges expectations, and in doing so, in challenging those expectations, he declares what kind of king that he is. This, in this passage, Christ himself challenges us to consider our expectations of what power, deliverance, and faith look like. And those are the three things that we're going to look at this morning. Power, deliverance, and faith. How does Jesus challenge our understanding of those things and call us to live under his declared kingship? What expectations surrounding our lives do we need to allow Christ's declarations to challenge? So our passage this morning occurs during the time of Passover. The road in which Jesus and the disciples are traveling on would have been very busy. Everyone is traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration, one of the biggest holidays, biggest celebrations in the Jewish faith for the Jewish people. And Jesus had walked all the way from Galilee, from Jericho, a journey that was uh, about 17 miles by foot in a 3,000-foot incline over those 17 miles. And coming from the east, they finally arrive at Bethphage, which is a uh, suburb of Jerusalem. It's a little less than two miles out. And they had walked all that way. They had walked all that way. And so surely Jesus didn't need a donkey to carry him the rest of, way, uh, rest of the way because he couldn't make it on foot. Which leads us to believe that his method of arrival was purposeful. It was deliberate. It was a specifically staged demonstration, a sequence of symbolic actions designed to have an unmistakable impact on his disciples, on the travelers on the road, and on the city's leaders. He's setting the stage for a showdown between himself and the authorities of the city, which we'll be looking at over the next few weeks. So let's look first at the first of three declarations that Jesus makes in this passage. What Jesus does first in this passage is challenge our expectations of power. He first gives instructions to his disciples. He says, go to Bethphage and you will find a mother donkey and her baby donkey colt. Bring them to me and if anyone asks, tell them the Lord needs them. He exercises his authority to commandeer these donkeys. He both foresees how it's going to play out and he also knows that he has the right to borrow these animals. He knows that the owner will recognize that Jesus is the rightful king of all creation and would gladly loan his animals to the service of the Lord. But just like we observed in the passage, this demonstration, this declaration is not 
about Jesus' feet hurting. It's bigger than that. And Matthew clues us in in verses 4 and 5 what's going on. Looking at verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. He's fulfilling a prophecy that was set forth in Zechariah, Zechariah 9, 9 and 10, written almost 500 years prior to Jesus riding into the city. It's a prophecy of a promised conquering king, one who is righteous, one who possesses salvation, humbly riding on a donkey foal, a baby colt, and he shall speak peace to the nations, and he shall rule over all creation. This picture of a conquering king would not have been a common description. It's a striking contrast, in fact, to the aggressive, militaristic, strong Messiah or conquerors of that day. Riding on a humble beast of burden is not the way that you would expect a king to enter his kingdom on a baby donkey. And we're going to say the word baby donkey a lot this morning, so just get used to it. It's almost comical, right? Jesus, the king of kings, the lord of lords, riding on a mini horse like little Sebastian. Okay? They would not have expected a great king to ride in with no army, no great war horse, no show of numbers or weapons. But Jesus is purposeful in his fulfillment of the Zechariah 9 prophecy. He was challenging the expectations of what power looks like, what a ruling king looks like. What the Jewish people would have been familiar with would have been King David or King Solomon, Old Testament kings who delivered God's people and ruled over temporary times of peace. And they provided as kings over God's people through God's providence an incomplete establishment of God's kingdom. And Jesus makes a deliberate declaration here. My kingdom is different. My kingship is different. It isn't like the power that you would expect. It isn't through the showing of strength and might that I will, that I will rule. Jesus is challenging the expectations by illustrating that true power lies in humility. True power lies in humility. The world does not expect to find true strength in those who are humble, those who are meek. But God has a way of challenging those expectations by using what seems lowly and ordinary to reveal his glory. Now, this is unexpected. And I think about uh, the effects that mass media and technology in our age that we live in. I wonder if those things have warped our understanding of power, right? Many of us in our pockets, we have a tiny little square device that weighs about as much as a softball, and it can basically answer any question that you can have. It can call your grandmother in Finland, and it can also send gifts. And yes, I pronounce them gifts, don't at me. You can get into a car or into an airplane, right? And you can fly somewhere or drive somewhere in a matter of hours that it used to take months to travel, and you won't even likely die of cholera or hypo hypothermia or animal attacks. 
And I can go right now, I can walk out of this building and I can go right around the corner and I can immediately be eating delicious fried chicken or, or pepperoni pizza, like immediately, without even thinking about it, without doing anything. I can just be eating it all of a sudden. And I don't want this to turn into like a, whoa, isn't everything awesome? But at the same time, I think that we take for granted in our day and age some of these things. It's because we have come to expect certain exhibitions of power. And maybe we have lost some of our sense of wonder and amazement. And maybe even more, we've lost an appreciation for what is ordinary and simple. We've lost an appreciation for shows of humility. And what we have here in this passage is the king of all creation, God himself, condescending to his own lowly created people as a person himself, fully God and fully man, declaring his kingship and his rule by riding on a baby donkey into the city of Jerusalem, the center of faith and religion and God's people in the known world. Jesus is coming to rule and save, but not by a show of force or by killing, but rather by giving up his power and dying. He's going to triumph through weakness, through shattering our expectations, through showing his followers that they can only come to salvation through repentance and and an admission of their neediness. We aren't saved by our own strength or our own good works. We aren't equal to the holy God, the perfect and holy God. Jesus is declaring that true power lies in humility, in the unexpected, in the ordinary, in the ability to lay down your life. He is the Messiah indeed, but one whose triumphal route leads to suffering and humiliation, not a show of force. But he isn't merely making a declaration about power here. Jesus also declares what he intends to do with that power. And that leads us to our second thing that Jesus challenges here. And that's the expectation of deliverance. The disciples lay their garments on the donkey as an improvised saddle. And the great crowd on the road begins to gather and people are starting to spread their own garments on the ground and branches on the road. And culturally, this is sort of like rolling out the red carpet, right? This is uh, marking the arrival of someone important, a, a great dignitary. And there's buzz, right? The, 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 the crowd is beginning to, to mark his way and they're following him into the city. And they slowly begin to recognize what's going on. Being Jewish people who were under occupation, under foreign rule of Rome, they were ready for this. They were ready for deliverance. They knew the passages that promised a coming Redeemer. And this is also during the season of Passover where hope and redemption and liberation, hopes for these things ran high. And it would have not been uncommon for the Roman governor uh, during that time to increase security in the city because there would be lots of stuff going on. Future redemption was connected to the Passover celebration. It was anticipation. These cries of Hosanna, Hosanna were normal. Hosanna being the common uh, uh, Greek translated from the, the Hebrew meaning, save us, right? Save us. Comes from Psalm 118, which we read earlier, 118 verse 25. 
And in the following verse, 118.26 comes, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These psalms, Psalms chapter 113 through 118, were used during these great festivals in Israel. And these two verses served as the climax of all of them. It was an expression of religious enthusiasm, excitement. And what they saw was the arrival of a prophet from Galilee, one who had a reputation. Jesus was already associated with messianic acts and miracles. He was literally, physically illustrating the fulfillment of the prophecy in Zechariah 9. So they started to get excited. They started to get riled up. The people go so far as to call Jesus the son of David. They start to think that this is the moment. This is the moment we've all been waiting for. This Jesus is the coming king who is going to bring deliverance. This is the son of David who will bring about the imminent restoration of the Davidic kingdom. Rome is going to be overthrown. The the crooked, the corrupt religious leaders that pacified the Jewish people on behalf of the Roman government, they're about to be dealt with. This is the time that we rise up. Our deliverance is looming. The prophecy will finally be fulfilled. The problem was their expectations. They did not recognize that his declaration of power in that moment, just as they didn't recognize the deliverance that he was about to bring. What they expected was a political deliverance. What they expected was a king who would overthrow the oppressive government like they had seen so many times before. They were receiving and celebrating him as such just because they didn't understand Jesus' dismissal of these revolutionary aspirations. They recognized him as the Messiah, but as the Messiah that they were expecting and wanting, not who Jesus himself was. They wanted him to do what they wanted. They wanted him to bring the judgment of God to bear on the people that they thought were ruining their lives, the Romans. But that's not the deliverance that Jesus was bringing. Jesus had come to declare that the most basic need of every person was deliverance from the powers of sin and death. What they needed was for someone to come and bear the judgment of God for them because they were all equally guilty as members of the fallen human race. What they needed was a pardon. What they needed was reconciliation to God himself so that when he does return to end all evil and all suffering, that he wouldn't have to end them as well. Jesus came to offer offer amnesty and forgiveness for any who would follow him and call him Savior. And that greatly challenged the expectations of those who were receiving him into the city on the road. And I think we experience ourselves today that uncomfortability and challenge to our expectations of Jesus. We want deliverance. We want freedom. We want joy and peace everlasting, blessings. But we want them desperately to be on our own terms. I want deliverance. But often I want it materially and tangibly. If I just made a little bit more money, if I could just find the right job, the right spouse, the right place to live, the right school to send my kids to, the right social circles, 
and I feel this tension. Lord, I'll be more faithful. I'll be more engaged with life and mission and relationships if you would just deliver me from having screaming babies all day and night. Lord, if you would just deliver me from having to worry about our monthly budget, I would definitely be joyful at all times. God, just take away my feelings of inadequacy and doubt. I know that I'll flourish. I'll be better. Jesus, just give me utter certainty and clarity. In fact, make it so that I don't need to have faith at all. I can just know everything, how it all fits together. I'll tell you what, at that point, I will be your faithful servant. Vampire Weekend has a new song that came out recently that I think depicts this experience well. It says, I don't want to live like this, but I don't want to die. It's living in the middle. And so many people consider going to God when they're in need. After September 11th, churches were packed out. When people receive a bad diagnosis, it's maybe time to call the chaplain. We definitely pray when we didn't study for a big test. Or we have an interview or we're waiting on an important decision. We go to God and we say, you need to do exactly what I need. You need to give me what I need from you right now. The triumphal entry of Jesus is an astonishing picture of the lifelong mismatch. What we think we need and what Jesus provides. What we think we need is almost always too small. What God offers us is what we really need and will, in the long run, exceed our greatest expectations. We go to God with our felt needs, and what He provides is heart-level deliverance to our root needs. What these people wanted was political deliverance. They didn't even realize that their hearts and minds were broken as a result of the sinfulness of all humankind. Jesus doesn't dismiss the injustice and the difficulty that they were experiencing, just as he doesn't dismiss the injustice and brokenness that we experience. But his first step in bringing about deliverance is delivering us from sin and death. The triumphal entry initiates the beginning of the final showdown. And what he has for us, it, what he has for us is what's best for us. Even when it feels uncomfortable and even when it doesn't meet our expectations. Jesus brings deliverance and a kingdom that is spiritual now, but will be ultimate and full later. He brings deliverance from the power of sin and death in our lives now. He offers us new life now, a new way to live now, a new kingdom to operate under now. And in that declaration of what deliverance he offers, he challenges us third and finally of our expectations of faith. Lest we leave this morning thinking that only what's spiritual matters or that uh, the power and deliverance of Christ uh, uh, doesn't have implications for our lives or for our faith, let's look at Jesus' declaration in the triumphal entry of how we are to live by faith, what a life of faith looks like. 
we didn't mention earlier of what seems to be a confusing inconsistency in this passage. It seems to say, it appears to maybe say that Jesus has two donkeys at play here. And it's not fully explained. Is he riding on two donkeys? Is he kind of like standing between both of them, doing like a roller skate thing with two donkeys? Now, it says that Jesus is riding on a foal, right? A, a colt of a donkey. So what then is the second donkey? Why is there a second donkey? Well, specifically, you can't really ride on an unbroken animal. This baby donkey would not have been used to having riders. It had never been ridden on before, especially in the midst of a large crowd who was cheering, calling out, getting worked up. It would have been impossible, seemingly, for Jesus to ride a young donkey who had never been ridden before. And the second animal is most likely the baby's mother, walking in front of or beside the young donkey. And she would have aided in keeping it calm in the midst of the chaos. And the animal does remain completely calm under the presence of the Lord and of its mother. This is the same Jesus that over the past few weeks we have seen calm the storm, heal the blind and paralyzed, challenge the arrogant religious leaders, cast out demonic spirits, and deny himself in the face of Satan's greatest temptations. The calm of this animal, this baby donkey, points to the ultimate peace of the consummated kingdom that Jesus brings. In the presence of the king, in the presence of Jesus, nothing but harmony and peace comes about. It's a foreshadowing of the healing and the fulfillment of all creation that we will experience when Christ returns in his second coming. And in his supreme power, Christ brings deliverance to his people. He puts us right with God, right here, right now. But until he returns again, we don't experience that in fullness. We only experience it partially. So until that day, for the duration of our lives, we're more like this baby donkey in this passage than we are conquering warriors in the army of the king. And what we need most is a mother donkey to walk before us, to walk beside us in the midst of chaos and commotion and a lack of understanding. Our expectations may be that faith will be easy, right? That a life of faith will uh, uh, be lived before Christ uh, in between his first coming and his second coming. It will be marked mostly by worldly blessings, and it's no wonder that those who teach the prosperity gospel are so popular. It's the idea that we can escape the brokenness that is still part of this world. Or, on the other hand, our expectations may be that faith is impossible. That a life of faith, as we live between Christ's first and second coming, will be marked mostly by disappointment and pain with no one to aid us. It's no wonder those who teach that what we believe doesn't matter so popular, as if the Christian faith is just a ticket to heaven that has no effect on our lives as we live them now. But the life of faith is neither of these. The life of faith is one of relationship. Jesus declares that he will be with us. 
that he will care for us, that he will love us in the midst of anything and everything that we may experience. Even though we will not escape the effects of sin and death, even though their ultimate hold and dominance over us has been broken. Now, I've joked up here before about some of my particular tastes and tendencies. And I believe it was Pastor Jay or Pastor Mike uh, the past, over the past few weeks that mentioned their children being afraid of the dark. Well, guess what? I'm a little afraid of the dark too. And it's not necessarily because I'm afraid that a monster is going to get me. Not necessarily. But there's something unsettling, right, about darkness. In fact, the other night I was having trouble falling asleep, so I got up and went to the bathroom. I had my headphones in, and I was washing my hands. And while I was washing my hands, my daughter, who had been asleep for a few years, had walked into the bathroom, and she was standing about six inches away from me. And I had no idea. And so when I turned around, there she is, and I almost fell into the shower. And I jumped and I yelled so loud that I, I almost woke up everyone in the house and probably the other people living next door. Yet she did not react one bit. Now, she was maybe like half sleepwalking, but she didn't react. Even though the lights were off, even though she couldn't see, she knew that it was going to be okay because she had heard me in the darkness. She knew that I was in the bathroom and that it would be safe for her to get up. And Jesus, unlike me, is not afraid of the darkness. And in the picture here the donkey, of the donkey colt and his mother or her mother, he demonstrates what a life of faith looks like, challenging our expectations. The life of faith is neither being in the darkness alone nor being unaffected by it. It's being a young, inexperienced donkey colt that desperately needs a mother's guidance and calming presence to make it through. And Jesus himself equates his love and care for his people in this exact gentle way just a few chapters later in Matthew 23, verse 37, when he laments over the city of Jerusalem and how they've denied him. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus laments when we try to live a life of faith on our own. He wants us to recognize our need, our childlikeness, our weakness. His own example is one of meekness and of humility, of taking the form of an obedient servant. This is the king that we follow. This is the example that we follow. He declares that a life of faith is a relationship. Our relationship with God is one where we express our need for love and care, and he gently walks with us in the midst of chaos and uncertainty. So bringing all of this to a close, the celebration and the excitement of the triumphal entry is not yet the final triumph, when heaven itself will come down and recreate our broken world. But it does point forward. It points forward 
to what will come just a week later from Jesus' entry into the city on Easter morning when the Lord will rise again from the grave. The triumphal entry is Jesus challenging expectations. He's not a king who is of unrivaled military power, raised in a palace with top-notch education, prepared to overthrow the governing bodies of the earth, but rather he's a common worker without a home, a nomadic son of an unwed virgin, riding on the colt of a donkey, with no sword, no army, but just 12 unwise friends. He enters into the city to give his life in unrivaled sacrifice. He comes not to kill, but to be killed. That is the king that offers to us this morning forgiveness and acceptance. He calls us to renounce our expectations and allegiances. We can bend the knee in commitment to him and be welcomed into everlasting peace and joy. Jesus came once before and he is coming Again, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords over all nations and all people, over all creation. And until that day, until that final day when he returns, he is the humble king who rides on a donkey, offering salvation to the weak and needy for free. By faith, anyone can get in. And by faith, we trust that one day he will return But this time, he won't be riding on a baby donkey. He'll be riding on a white horse, a horse of war, carrying a rod of iron with a sword coming from his mouth, wearing a robe dipped in blood, preparing to bring the king's justice against any who have perpetrated evil and injustice in the world bringing destruction to all evil and all pain, wiping away every tear and sorrow. But his people, God's children, will be protected. God's children will enter into the peace and rest of his eternal kingdom under the rule of his gracious and glorious kingship. And that's what we can expect Jesus declares these to be true and those are the expectations that we can have and we can hold. So come, come live in that kingdom today. Embrace the unrivaled power of Christ's humility. Receive the deliverance of a renewed heart and mind and walk the journey of faith being comforted by a gentle savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for coming to us, coming to us humbly and gently, welcoming us in, Lord, providing us deliverance that we ourselves could never purchase, that we could never secure on our own. And Lord, as we experience the difficulty and pain and brokenness of this world, as we experience what it's like to live in spiritual darkness or the fallenness. Lord, I just ask that you would be with us. That you would, like a gentle mother, gather us close 
like, like a mother hen. And Lord, I ask that you would care for us, that you would be our brother, our father, and the one who secures our salvation and doesn't wait for us at the end, but walks on the journey with us. Be with us. In your name I pray, amen.